Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, but... Because you have, or I have called and you refuse to listen, I have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, they will call upon me then, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of all their ways and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. The end. Sermon over. Let's call the band back up. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. No, just, you know, that's not. We could do that. I mean, we could almost do that. We could look at this and see that it is really clear. Now, I know some of you will lose your minds if you don't have some points to write down. So I'm going to give you something generic like this that just about sums it up. One, wisdom is calling. Two, ignoring wisdom is bad. And three, listening to wisdom is good, right? I mean, you got that from reading along, right? We probably could leave it there, but it's crossroads. We're not going to. We're going to spend some time digging into this passage, and for what I think is a pretty good reason. Since we started as a church in 2011, there have been over 17,000 minutes of sermons preached right here. Crossridge has heard a lot of sermons. Not everyone's been here from the beginning. Not everyone has come every week. Some of you are new to Crossridge. Some of you are new to church attendance in general. But there's also people like me who have been in church most of their lives. Now, as Lee mentioned, I turned 45 on Friday. But I was born into a family that made church attendance a priority. So I've heard a few more than 17,000 minutes worth of sermons. I did some math. Not great at math, but 90,000 minutes. 90,000 minutes of preaching. It's just a ballpark. But that doesn't even include things like church retreats or conferences or camps or community groups or midweek Bible studies or Sunday school, personal devotions. And I went to Bible college for four years. And I'm only 45. Some of you are 46. If there are people like me in our church that have been studying the Bible, seeking wisdom for hundreds, if not thousands of hours, how is it possible that we are not more like Jesus? Now, I want to be quick to say, by God's grace, I think our church is made up of people who are looking more and more like Jesus every day. I don't say that to minimize the work that God has done in your life, in the life of our church. But if we are what our first core value says, if we are shaped by the word, the careful, ongoing, committed study of Scripture, and we've been doing it for this long, why aren't we more like Jesus? 
And I include myself in that question. I include Lee. I include Pat, Beth, Heather, the ones that you see here up on this stage, your community group leaders, Sunday school teachers, our elders. Why aren't we more like him? Why did the writer of Hebrews have to say this? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Why did he have to write that 2,000 years ago? How is this something we're still dealing with today? The answer is that we're fallen people. Our leaning is to sin to our own understanding. Regardless of where we are on our spiritual journey, we tend toward sin. Now, through Jesus' work on the cross, we're no longer slaves to that sin. We don't have to sin, but the leaning is there. And through the power of God's Spirit, equipped by the wisdom that we find in His Word, the wisdom that is His Word, the wisdom that is, as we'll see, Jesus, we have what it takes to follow Him, to walk in maturity and holiness, to become teachers who aren't reliant for milk from others. Both Lee and Pat encouraged us at the start of this series to use this as an opportunity to evaluate and examine our relationships with Jesus. And I want to do the same thing this morning. Where are you at? Are you listening to him? Are you seeking him? Are you living in obedience? When wisdom calls, what's your answer? Because your answer has enormous ramifications. Let's take a look. I've got three points this morning. Three things that I think we see in this passage about wisdom, and if you were taking notes earlier, you'll already have this written down. The first is that wisdom is calling. Look again at verses 20 to 23. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom is calling. So to expand on this first point, we're going to ask three questions. First, who is wisdom? Who is wisdom? Verse 20 says this, Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. In our passage, and throughout this series, wisdom is a her. She raises her voice. She cries out. She speaks. And there are a couple of reasons for this. One is that Hebrew, like French, Spanish, Italian, they use masculine or feminine classifications for their nouns. Hebrew has wisdom as feminine. The second reason, Solomon has chosen this as a literary device. This feminine personification is to teach his son. He does this throughout the book. In chapter 2, we meet the adulterous woman. In chapter 5, we've got the honey-lipped seductress. In chapter 9, we're introduced to Lady Folly. It's Solomon's go-to. And let's be real here. We shouldn't be surprised. We all use metaphors and analogies that make the most sense to us, right? Lee uses football references. Pat's a music guy. My go-to is chips, Solomon had a thing for the ladies, at least a thousand of them. 
They were the weakness that ultimately brought about his ruin. And he knows that his son is going to be attempted by the lure of a woman because he himself knows that struggle. He presents Lady Wisdom as the woman who is the better alternative, the real prize, the one he should desire and pursue. It's a literary device, but wisdom is also a person. Pat reminded us of this last week. 1 Corinthians 1, 24, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. In verse 30, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Colossians 2, their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Who is wisdom? Jesus is wisdom. Who should we desire? Jesus. Who should we listen to? Jesus. Who should we pursue? Jesus. Who should we turn to? Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And that means that our access to God, who is the source of wisdom, our access to him is Jesus. God communicates that wisdom through his word, And John wrote, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is wisdom. So it stands to reason that true wisdom, as Pat said, the kind that gives us the ability to live the life that God wants us to live, that extends beyond our set time on this earth, is only found in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is wisdom. Next question. Who is wisdom calling? Or to whom is wisdom calling? Don't judge my English. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Now, I know these words more directly say where wisdom is calling. But the where points to the who. Where does wisdom call? At seminary? In the clova on Sunday mornings? No. Well, I mean, she does. She does call there too. But we're told that it's in the noisy streets at the city square, the entrance to the gate of the city. This is where? This is where the people are. What people? All the people. In Jerusalem, this is where everything happened, where everyone was. We don't live in Jerusalem or even a city that has a lot of pedestrian traffic. There's not a lot of people walking along 176th Street today. And COVID has really done a number on crowds in general. Maybe we'll contextualize it a bit. Maybe think Facebook or Twitter. Who's there? Just about everyone. So many people, so many kinds of people, all the kinds of people, everyone. Wisdom calls to everyone. You don't need to go to seminary, university, tech school, high school, middle school, elementary school, preschool. We were reminded last week that while education is a great tool when it comes to the search for wisdom, it doesn't make you wise. In a similar way, Lee reminded us that we don't need to be old to be wise, though life experience should make a difference. Wisdom calls to everyone, young, old, educated, less educated. God wants to give wisdom to everyone. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all and without reproach, and it will be given him. 
any of you. It's an open call to everyone. Who does wisdom call? Everyone. And that's awesome. But we're not all the same, are we? It doesn't mean the same thing to all of us. Not all of us are in the same place when it comes to our relationship with wisdom. In our passage, I think we see wisdom calling to four kinds of people. First, wisdom is calling the simple. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? The root word of the Hebrew word translated simple here means an open door. Doors are put in place to let some things in, but also to keep some things out. And the simple person has a wide open door. Theology, causes, relationships, work practices, ethics, full duplex, no safeguards. Simple is not a description of the person's mental capacity, though it might seem like it at some times. It's not about their ability to make good choices. It's that they don't take care in processing information and situations. Paul Tripp said this, whether it's the opinion of a friend, the lyrics of a song, the words of a text, an article from a newspaper, the plot of a sitcom, some information on a website, or the worldview of a great movie, your eyes are receiving and your mind is being influenced by a thousand voices every day. Each is telling you how to think, and in telling you how to think is telling you how to live. We never interpret the events of our lives on the basis of pure objectivity. We're always influenced by a myriad of cultural and interpersonal influences. Can you see why wisdom is so important for the simple? And why they're at such great risk? If the door is wide open, if our experiences and the information that we're receiving are not weighed against the wisdom of God, anything can happen. The simple person just doesn't know any better. And not for any good reason. They've had a plenty, or just plenty, of opportunities to grow but they've never taken them. They just absorb the beliefs and practices of others without carefully examining them for error. We've all been there. If you're on Twitter or Facebook, you're facing this challenge every single day. So many things are said. So many things that sound good, but are ultimately not good at all. Proverbs 14:12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death. Look, just because the internet says so doesn't make it so. Just because the majority think it's good, it doesn't mean it's good. Just because the government makes it legal, it doesn't make it right. Just because someone in your church believes something, it doesn't mean you should believe it too. It might, but you can't know without wisdom, without holding it up under the lens of God's word. His wisdom, you can't know. You can only guess. And as we see in just a bit, it's too risky of a guess. What are you actually standing for when you use that hashtag? Do you know? I'm not talking about a specific hashtag today, so don't throw anything at the TV set just yet. When you change your profile picture, is that decision just going with the flow or a measured response? It might very well be the right move, but the simple person doesn't even ask that question. There's no filter. Yeah, that looks good. I support that. But do you though? Does God? Maybe, but also maybe not. 
You can see the allure though, right? It's a pretty good life. You just believe what everyone tells you to. Your Twitter posts echo the status quo. You never experience conflict in a conversation because over the course of the discussion, you just adopt the other person's point of view. So it's just so quintessentially Canadian for us to do this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but, but, how long, oh simple ones, will you remain simple? We've got to keep asking and answering that question. And we do this as a church by carefully examining God's work, God's word week in and week out. In Acts 20, Paul tells the Ephesians that he didn't hold back from declaring the whole counsel of God to them, which is what we seek to do here at Crossridge, to point us to as much biblical wisdom as possible so we can mature in Jesus and not stay simple. Wisdom is calling the simple. Wisdom also calls the scoffers. How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? Scoffers have no interest in hearing from wisdom. Their main interest is to share their own wisdom with anyone in earshot or even just spouting it off into cyberspace, hoping it lands awkwardly with someone so they can pick a fight. They're people of derision. Scoffers are currently enjoying a kind of heyday right now. I know I keep mentioning Twitter and Facebook, and I definitely also said all the other cool things that the kids use these days that I totally know about and use all the time. Those are just a given. I'm trying to help the 46-plusers here. Have you been on the internet lately? Wisdom is calling in the busy places. Social media has to be the busiest place, and for every one call from wisdom, there are a thousand scoffs. A thousand, who do you think you are? Is a thousand, that kind of thinking hasn't been relative for a hundred years. It's not a conversation. It's not a respectful dialogue between two people discussing a tough topic. It's just scoffing. The simple have pliable hearts. The scoffers, not so much. They love the sound of their own voice. They love knowing everything. They don't want to be instructed or corrected. They mock those who seek wisdom, and they take joy in watching people fail. If the simple are bandwagoners, scoffers are driving the bandwagon. And wisdom is calling to the the scoffers, stop, stop the wagon. Look, you're going to drive off a cliff with you and everyone else on the bus. Listen to me before it's too late. And the scoffer might even be looking and seeing the cliff up ahead, but he thinks he can fly. There's a way that seems right to a man. We see God's grace in in the fact that in spite of the scoffer's heart, wisdom still calls to them for now. She also calls to the fools. How long, O fools, will you hate knowledge? The fools are those who have rejected wisdom. In Proverbs, it's the person who's the most far gone. They're not just undecided like the simple. They're not only scoffing at wisdom, they hate it. Ray Ortland said, a fool is thick-headed. He's a stubborn dolt. He doesn't listen. He always knows better, always has an excuse, and nothing is ever his fault. The fool can't hear advice. And even hearing that quote from Ortland, a fool is likely to think, yeah, wow, that is most of the people I know. I don't need God's wisdom. I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And don't tell me to do otherwise. This behavior might even be detrimental, but I don't care. It's my call. Stay out of my business. And wisdom is calling to the fool saying, yeah, it is detrimental. 
you're headed for disaster. And as much as you think you like what you're doing, I have so much more for you. Please, please turn to me now before it's too late. But so often the fool's head is just too thick. His heart is too hard. It's impossible to even consider that he might be in the wrong or he's just too far down the road and much too proud to turn back. Again, God's grace is shown to us in the fact that wisdom still makes an appeal to the fool. It's a kindness that should lead to repentance, but it's so often repulsive to a foolish heart. In that kindness, he not only calls to the fools and the simple and the scoffers, but also to our last group, the wise. Now, this passage doesn't directly address those who have embraced wisdom and allowed her to govern their lives, but we know that there are certainly wise folk out there, right? There are those who are experiencing the reward that wisdom offers. Look at verse 23. If you turn to my reproof, behold, I will pour my spirit out to you. I will make my words known to you. This is a promise, and God is true to his promises. Those of us in the church who have answered the call of Jesus, God has poured out his spirit on us and made his words known to us. That's amazing. What an incredible gift. What a beautiful thing to rest in. But even for those living as wise, there is a temptation to slide back into simpleness. Why? Because following wisdom is hard. Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Following wisdom is hard. It's easier to lean on our own understanding, and our tendency is to take the path of least resistance. We all walk with that limp. We all lean towards sin. So wisdom's call is also to the wise. Don't fall into passivity. Keep answering wisdom's call. Search for it. Keep taking steps forward. Wisdom says, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Stay vigilant so you don't return to your simple ways. Derek Kidner said, for one does not stay still. A man who is empty-headed will end up wrong-headed. And I think that's bang on. The urgency in wisdom's call is that if we remain complacent, we'll slip back into simpleness. And then it's only a matter of time before we move to scoffing and ultimately foolishness, rejecting Jesus. And as we're about to see again in verses 24 to 32, this has major repercussions. The third question that we're going to ask in this first point of a sermon that could have been four minutes long, what is wisdom's call? What is wisdom's call? Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. It's right there for us. The answer is right at the beginning. Turn at my reproof. It's a call to repentance. And it sounds a whole lot like the call of Jesus, doesn't it? Wisdom says, you simple. Sorry, this microphone is killing me. You simple, you scoffers, you fools, you're going the wrong way. Turn from your ways and follow me. Jesus says, repent, right? He says, deny yourself, take up your cross and what? Follow me. True repentance involves both the turning from something and the turning to something else. Jesus' call is always, turn from the world to me. 
And Jesus' promise is the same as that of wisdom. Repent, and I will pour out my Spirit on you. Sound familiar? I will make my words known to you. Come on, wisdom has Jesus written all over it. He comes to us and says, you're chasing after the wrong things. Money, power, sex, pleasure, fame. Repent. Those things you're chasing at best will not satisfy. And at their worst will bring you to your ruin. Turn from them and repent. Turn from them and turn to me. Follow me. Chase after me because I will ultimately satisfy and I will bring you to glory. That's good news. That's the gospel. That's the call of wisdom, the call of Jesus. And here's the deal. We have to answer. We have to say yes to Jesus. We have to say yes to wisdom. We have to. I mean, the rewards are great if we do, but the consequences if we don't are severe. Which brings us to the next point. Ignoring wisdom is bad. And it's bad for a few reasons. Starting at verse 24. Because I called you and you refused to listen... I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. It would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Ignoring wisdom is bad, obviously. None of what we just read is good. None of us want that. So let's take a look at three reasons ignoring wisdom is bad. One, calamity will come and you'll only have yourself to blame. Verse 26 says, when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, calamity, terror, distress, anguish, these will come as a result of answer, or not answering wisdom's call. Ignoring wisdom is bad. Every choice we make has either a reward or a consequence. The magnitude of the reward or consequence are going to vary, but something always comes of our choices when we lie to our spouse for the first time, which was probably within the first three seconds of meeting them, when we decide that dishonesty is okay in our marriage, even once, we open ourselves to the formation of patterns that lead to a lack of trust, betrayal, destruction, calamity, terror, distress, anguish. But it doesn't have to. Answering wisdom's call to confess to seek forgiveness, to move forward in honesty and integrity, can heal and renew intimacy in a marriage. That's a good thing. But that's answering wisdom's call. That's not what we're talking about here. Wisdom is calling to repeat offenders, those who continue on in ignorance and defiance, continued ignorance of her call, continued disobedience that has compounding consequences that will eventually come at you like a whirlwind. Look, just because you haven't been caught... Just because it hasn't caused any overtly negative effects, it doesn't mean it's not coming. Ignoring wisdom's call brings on disaster. It's just a matter of time. And so often we ignore wisdom's call, and then when the stuff hits the fan, so to speak, we panic and we run to God and beg him to bail us out. We bargain, we plead, but then we read verse 28. Oh, then... 
They will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Not only that, we read earlier in verse 26, I will also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes. What? Like, isn't God supposed to clean up my mess? Like, when the exam is this afternoon and you didn't study and you show up and you beg God to help you pass the test, isn't he supposed to wave his Dumbledore wand and get you through? Or when your kid is going off the rails after being raised by the TV and the phone and their friends and you haven't prioritized spiritual development and church involvement, isn't God supposed to swoop in and make it like the last 16 years of spiritual neglect didn't happen? God says, because you didn't listen to me, because you ignored my counsel and would have none of my discipline, I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. To bring us back to a little bit more of a positive here, Kent Hughes says this, God's laughter here is not giggly. And I think this is important for us to hear. He doesn't laugh at the pain of fools, but he does rejoice at the defeat of evil. So do we. The Bible says the whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. They shout for joy when the wicked die. Not only that, but God also laughs in amazement at the stupidity of fools. It's like I'm offering you everything you desire in your deepest heart and you go on marginalizing me? You must be joking. God says, don't do that. You say, I'm going to do that. Things go poorly. You run to God and tell him how much trouble you're in and ask him to bail you out. Parents, you know what this is like. When your kids come to you after doing exactly what you told them not to do and they ask you to fix it, what? Are you kidding me? You want me to do what? This is on you. You did this, and you shouldn't be surprised at the outcome. And you can't blame anyone but yourself. Paul reminds us in Galatians that we reap what we sow. We shouldn't be surprised when stuff blows up in our face. God certainly isn't. And as quick as he is to forgive, we're told here that he will hide himself to those, or from those who have ignored or rejected wisdom in their time of calamity. Hide himself. Is that like God? Well, the truth, yeah, it is. But before we get any further into that, it's important to draw a couple of distinctions here. Firstly, there's a difference between God's grace to forgive sin and grace to remove consequences. When you were lazy and didn't study for the test, when you ignored wisdom and neglected your role as a parent, and you're confronted with your sin and you confess it to Jesus, he forgives He's not condemning you. You don't have to carry around the guilt and shame from the sin that's been forgiven, but, but you have to live with the earthly consequences. Your sin is forgiven. It's as far as the east is from the west, but you're probably going to fail that test. Your child might be the prodigal, and you can't know if they're ever coming home. You're going to lose friends or your health, or whatever else it is that you sabotaged with your rejection of wisdom. We're not talking about the forgiveness of sin here. We're talking the consequences of poor choices. Second distinction is to say that there's a difference between the kinds of calamities we can face. Calamity that results from the ignorance or rejection of wisdom is different than the calamity that is the side effect of living in a fallen world. There are things that happen that are not your fault. 
The loss of a loved one is calamitous. An earthquake can be calamitous. Accidents, abuse at the hand of a loved one, when that stuff comes, and it will, it's a broken world, when that stuff comes, God isn't laughing. God is not mocking then. He loves you. He cares for you. He's the one that binds up the brokenhearted. But even in those moments, the brutal stuff that isn't the result of failure on the wisdom front, how important is wisdom going to be when that stuff hits? How much better off will you be if you've answered wisdom call and are walking with Jesus? We've got to answer that call. Ignoring wisdom is bad because it brings calamity. Another reason, time is not on our side. This is another one of those things that isn't explicit in the passage, but it's certainly truth we can glean from it. The beginning of our passage, we're told that wisdom cries in the street. Not cried, it's something that's happening now. Actively calling the simple, the scoffers, the fools, and the wise alike with an urgency knowing that the time is uncertain. You might be tempting fate with something, a flirty text, sketchy websites. You might think that you've got it under control, but do you? You might not have taken that next step, but will you? Listen to me, wisdom says. The time is now, and it might not just be that you're close to making a bad decision. We're all running out of actual sand in the hourglass time. This applies to Jesus' call as well. Look, listen to me. Turn to me. You may be sitting there today and never answered Jesus' call. You've not said yes to him. Don't wait. It's not too late right now, but you don't know how much time you have. 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some should count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that each should reach repentance. That is such good news. But, there's so many buts in this sermon, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We do not know when the consequences of our choices, our beliefs, our actions are going to come. But the Bible is clear. They will. If not in this life, in the judgment that's to come and we don't know when that's coming. The time that all the works done on the earth are exposed. Wisdom says, Jesus says, now, listen now. Don't wait. It doesn't matter where you've been or where you are right now, but it certainly matters where you're going. Time is not on our side. And it's not just about the future. We see here also that ignoring wisdom is bad because we risk living in judgment today. Verse 31, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Sometimes God's judgment is obvious. Sometimes the simple, the fools and the scoffers reap the whirlwind. It's plain to everyone standing around watching it happen. It's the painful, obvious consequences of unwise living. But sometimes it's much more subtle. Sometimes God's judgment is just letting people do what they want without stepping in to stop it. Romans 1. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. 
They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They, they, pardon me, though they know that God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Their judgment is continuing to do what ought not be done. That's terrifying. Does that poke anything inside of you? Like, is that where you're headed? Could God have given you up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done? I have more to say on that later, but I want to let that sit with you for a little while. Last point, I promise. Ignoring wisdom is bad, but listening to wisdom is good. Look back at verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And then down to verse 33. But, and this time it's a good but, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. There is good news in this turn or burn kind of message from wisdom. If you don't repent, calamity is coming. But if you do repent, you'll be rescued. And what's more, you'll be rewarded with great blessing. Jesus came preaching the same message. Repent, turn to me. I will give you rest. I will quench your thirst. I will give you eternal life. And not unlike wisdom's call, the call of Jesus has and continues to go largely ignored. Just like it was when he came to his people, John 1. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? How long will you ignore me? But, because we're in the good news section now, right? Listening to wisdom is good. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Responding to wisdom's call averts disaster and rewards you. If you live by my words, wisdom says, you won't have to face the calamity that comes to the simple the scoffers and the fools. And responding to the call of Jesus does the same. And in addition to his words bringing wisdom to guide you through your day, accepting his words, believing his name, just as we read, he gives eternal life where we will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster forever. Now, depending on how you need to hear it this morning, this is either a loving reminder from a God who wants you to live your actual best life now, Not with the car and the house and the pearly whites, but with him as your reward. And a reminder to stay the course, to not slip back into simpleness. Or it's a turn or burn sermon from a yelly preacher on a soapbox on the street corner. If that's what you need to hear this morning, then here it is. You're going the wrong way. You know it. Stop it. Before it's too late. The good news for you this morning is that if you're listening today, wisdom, Jesus is calling to you right now. You may be simple. You may be a fool. You may be a scoffer, regardless of where you are right now. It's not too late. Hear me say that again. It's not too late. It will be. But it's not yet. So if there's something stirring inside you, if you want to turn at wisdom's reproof, you can. You're still breathing. 
You're being given a choice right here, right now. Don't wait, don't wait, don't. God says if you listen to him, if you repent, he'll pour out his spirit. He'll make his words known to you. You'll dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. That's an amazing gift. And it's here and it's not too late. Now you might need help with this. You might not know how to go about this on your own. You might have to have a really hard conversation with your spouse, with your kids, with your boss. Maybe you need help. Friends are there to help. Our staff team, our elders, we're here to help. Call, text, email, talk to the person on the couch next to you this morning. Just don't leave it any longer because calamity is coming. But we have a refuge in Jesus and the wisdom of God and we've got to accept it. Don't wait any longer. Let's pray. God, I don't, I don't know what you want to do with that. I just recognize that we are people who are so easily misled, so easily blinded. We slip into simpleness and foolishness. But that is not what we want. God, we want to be people who seek after your wisdom to answer its call when it comes and to say yes to Jesus. The one who has the ability to bring us to forgiveness to salvation, to eternity with you. And God, we recognize that we've been given this call now. We pray that you would help us to answer it. Don't let us be slow. We just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.